Amen. So 21, 21 years ago, almost 21 years to the day, February 1998, I was, uh, I was 16 years old, about the age of some of these uh, young, attractive people over here. Um, and uh, I had a realization. Uh, it was really more than a realization. It was really what we would call a, a call. Um, I was, I had messed up, um, and I had experienced God's grace, and I was waiting to go to trial and, and, and receive the, the, the justice or the hammer or the punishment for my choices that I had made. But there had been a church that had loved me and welcomed me, and they showed me unconditional love, and they showed me incredible grace, and, and part of the unconditional love they showed me was they called me to repentance. They called me to stop doing what I had been doing. And they called me um, to be the man that God created me to be. And they told me that Jesus was bigger than what I had done and that Jesus wanted to work in my life. Jesus wanted to transform me and, and uh, I was just broken enough to believe it. So I had been at this youth event that night and, and, uh, and, 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 and the Lord had spoken to me. Just a simple presentation of Jesus uh, taking our sins upon himself, going to the cross, Rising again, you know, the thing that we all know in our minds, but then some, sometime by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, and by our own willingness and yieldedness, that message somehow goes from our head to our heart, and it, and it begins to transform us. And so I laid in bed that night, and I realized that I wanted my life to count. I wanted my life to matter. Um... I didn't want the pain that I had inflicted on myself. I didn't want the pain that I had inflicted on other people. I didn't want that pain to be wasted. So I remember just telling the Lord, uh, I promise you, if you will let me, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping people. I didn't know what that would look like. I really did not think it would look like this and all that has come along with this. But I just remember telling him, if you will just let me, I want to spend the rest of my life helping, pe helping people just like the people at this, at this church have helped me. But I knew somehow that if my life was going to make an impact, if my life was going to make a difference, if my life was going to have any kind of significance to it, I knew I had to surrender my life to Him. And so basically I said to God, my life is a blank check. I'm writing this blank check out to you. Do with it what you want to do. And so I've never met a person that wanted to live an insignificant life. Um, I've never met a person that said, you know what, my goal is just to be really insignificant. But, I, but, but I've met many people, most of us probably, have feel like that, that somehow we're failing to live a life of significance. Uh, a lot of us feel like life has passed us by and, and the opportunity to live a significant life has passed us by. We struggle with believing maybe that we've squandered the opportunities that God has given us and, 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 and we've squandered what God's entrusted to us and maybe we experience deep shame as a result of that. Some of us have grown, uh, have grown uh, so deep in, in our shame that we've given up on significance and we're squandering our significant lives pursuing very insignificant things. And some of us are like addicts who've decided that we don't deserve any better. And so we settle for something less than God's best. I mean, if we think about it, it's kind of discouraging. You're one of seven billion people on the planet, right? And here we are in Nolan County, America. I mean, who are you, who am I to think 
that God could have anything significant for us, right? Um, who are we to believe that, that we could accomplish anything significant? Who are we to believe that anybody would even notice if we did? Part of the struggle I think we have with this whole idea is that we tend to confuse success and significance. And those two terms may not be the same thing. There's nothing wrong with success. If you're doing something, school, work, whatever, um, man, of course you want to be successful. Of course you want to excel in that. Of course you want to be the best you can be at that. But, but so success isn't a bad thing, but there is something greater than success. And that greater thing is significance. See, we often define success the way the world around us defines success. We define success by wealth. We define success by, by fame. We define success by you know, how many likes or follows or whatever we got. We define success in ways um, that maybe set us up to compare our lives to other people. Um, success, the way our world defines it, tends to be really me-centered. And so, and so while it's, it's, it's fine to be successful, Jesus said it's possible to be very successful and yet be a failure. He says it's possible to gain the whole world but lose our soul. And so it's possible to be a, a success in the, in the world's eyes but a failure in God's eyes. And so don't be afraid of success. Man, there's nothing wrong with success. But let's remember that there's something greater than success. Um, because if my value is rooted if my identity is rooted in my success as the world around me defines it, there's always going to be somebody more successful than me. There's always going to be somebody who's accomplished more than me. There's always going to be somebody who's killing it more than I am. And so envy and comparison and competition will set in and rob joy from me. So as good as success can be, significance is something greater. I want to quote, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Dr. Aravind Srinivasan. All right, is that how you say it? Yes, okay. Um, Addison says that's how you say it. So he's devoted his life to preventing needless blindness in developing countries, and he's, his work uh, has, has impacted 44 million people. That's pretty significant, right? He says this about significance. He says there's a difference between success and significance. Success is what happens to you. Significance is what happens through you. Success is what comes to you. Significance is what you give away to others. And so maybe a simple way to say that would be success is about what we get. Significance is about what we give away. Success is about what I accumulate for myself. Significance is about what I impart to other people. So don't be scared of success. But there's something greater than success, and that's significance. Your significance is not rooted in your level of success. Your significance is rooted in your level of surrender. Your significance is rooted in this. Will you surrender your life to him? So Abram, that we're going to talk about today, he lived one of the most significant lives in history. His life is so significant that there's three faiths, uh, Ju Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, that all claim Abram as the father of their faith. That's a significant life. That's a significant person. And Abram's significance was not rooted in his success. His significance is rooted in his willingness to surrender everything he had to God. So his name, uh, let's talk about this guy, Abram, that lives a significant life. We meet him at the end of Genesis 11, and in Genesis 11, verse 30, we read that Sarah, his wife, was barren. She had no child. And so that word barren kind of hangs over the whole narrative, kind of kind of really ominously. And so 
So here's Abram. He's the last in his line of his family. He's the last in Noah's line of the sons that Noah had blessed. He's the last of this blessed family, and, and he's old, and, if he doesn't have, and, and, it's, and he's barren, and if he doesn't have a child, man, his family line ends with him. I remember when I was about seven years old, and I put two and two together that like, uh, I was the only grandson with my grandpa's last name, and I said, hey, you know, Papa, yeah, I've got to have a son, you know, because somebody's got to carry the name forward. And he said, carry the torch, you know. And so, uh, man, you know, that's why we have four kids, you know. We kept trying until we finally got a, got a little guy to carry the name forward. But that, that, can you imagine how Abram felt? Man, I'm the last of the line. I'm the last one, and, and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, we, we can't have any kids. And, and not only that, but Abram's name means father. Later, God's going to change Abram's name to Abraham, and that means father of a multitude. So I love the way J.D. Greer puts it. Abram means daddy. Abraham means big daddy. That's kind of a way that you can remember that, all right? And so, and so his name is father, and yet he doesn't have any kids. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Can you imagine what it would feel like for your name to taunt you every day of your life? To go to the coffee shop and people say, well, how's dad doing? How's father doing? You know, oh, by the way, yeah, you don't have any kids. Uh, to, to have your name kind of haunt you and taunt you every day of your life, to have this destiny hanging over you. When, you. when we meet Abram, he's feeling insignificant and unsuccessful. He's got human success, but he's barren. He probably believed that life had passed him by and his name taunts him every day and some of us maybe are in a similar place. Maybe you believe that, that Jesus forgives you of your sins. Maybe you believe that you're saved by grace. Maybe you believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you believe all those things. Maybe you believe that there was a God-given destiny for you, but you've come to believe that life has passed you by. Maybe you've come to believe that you've missed the boat. Maybe you've come to believe that you're too young, too old, too broken, too divorced, too normal, too weird, too much, not enough. And we come to believe those things about ourselves. And yet at a strategic moment in Abram's life, God comes calling and God says, I want you to leave everything you know, everything you've ever known, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. You won't know it till you get there. And somehow Abram is willing to pull up stakes and to walk by faith and trust God. Abram obeys. He lives a significant life because he lives a surrendered life. Um, uh, Abram was a successful man of his day. He had money, he had servants, he had cattle, he had, he had camels, he had all this stuff. But there were a lot of successful people that nobody remembers. The majority of successful people in history, nobody knows their name. But we're still talking about Abram thousands of years later because he lived not just a successful life, he lived a significant life. You know, Matthew's gospel begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ and it begins with Abraham. And it traces it all the way to Jesus, the fulfillment of all the promises given to Abraham. And then Matthew's gospel ends with the Great Commission where, where, where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. That's the, ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate goal of everything God promised Abraham, that we would go and we would make disciples of all the nations. Uh, Abraham's significant life story begins with a man that felt anything but significant. But as he surrendered, his life gains significance. Now think about the boy in the story in John chapter 6 who gave his lunch, his lunch sack, his fish, and his bread. He gave that to Jesus. He gave that insignificant thing to Jesus. And Jesus multiplied that insignificant thing, and he fed thousands of people with it. That, that lunch became uh, significant. 
as it was surrendered to Jesus. Think about Jesus on the cross. You think about many people, you think many people walk by Jesus hanging on the cross and say, well, there's a successful guy right there. I want to be just like that. Not many people walk by Jesus and thought of him as a success story, but yet he is the most significant figure who has ever lived because he's the most surrendered life that's ever lived. Abram's significance is rooted in his willingness to surrender to God's call. Abram writes a blank check with his life, and he follows God anywhere. You know, our search for significance gets dark and twisted and depraved if it's all about us, all about our ego. But man, it gets liberated And it becomes life-giving when we surrender it to Jesus. Your significance is not rooted in your level of success, but your level of surrender. So let's look at God's promise to Abram. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 through 11 tell this kind of dark, twisted story of after after Adam and Eve rebel against God, they eat the fruit they were forbidden to eat, they take life into their own hands, kind of the sin infection just spreads to all humanity and everything gets messed up. And then God starts all over, we saw last week, with the best man on earth, Noah. And it's by the end of the Noah narrative, Noah is drunk and naked and exposed and ashamed. He's replayed the Adam story all over again. And and by the time we get to Genesis 11, um, man, the world is full of idolatry and it's full of violence and it's full of, of, of all these heartbreaking things. And so God does this really unexpected thing to address the problem of evil. We, a lot of times we say, well, what's God doing about evil? Well, we look in Genesis 12 and we see what God does about evil. He calls Abram. He says, I'm going to make a family out of you. I'm going to make a community out of you. I'm going to make covenant out of you. And, and, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Today, we say, well, what's God doing about evil? He made you. He called you. He saved you. <laughs> he put you in a family called the church. And your purpose is to, is to demonstrate to this world the goodness and the restoration and the forgiveness of God. So God makes this incredible covenant with Abram who's old and who's barren and, and, and has no chance of having any offspring. Genesis 12 verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now don't you think that would take some trust? If, 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 uh, if somebody said, hey, leave home, if somebody said to you, leave home, leave everything you know, and I'll tell you, just start walking, I'll tell you when to stop, you would say, that sounds pretty crazy, I'm not going to do that. And yet, Abram is just crazy enough to believe that God means what he says. He says, I will make of you, look at the seven promises God gives to Abram in verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That seventh one is an amazing promise and that promise comes to fruition in the offspring, uh, the descendant of Abram named Jesus who comes and through Jesus all the nations of the earth are blessed through him. But notice why God says he blesses Abraham. He says, I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing to other people. You think God has blessed our church? God has blessed our church. Um, he's, over, over the years, he's blessed our church with some of the most amazing people I've ever known. He's blessed our church financially. Last year was our most incredible year of giving ever. We started off this year kind of rocky, but I'm believing we'll, 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 we're going to rebound from that. Last year, we were able to do things. We were able to do some kingdom work last year that were, were, was just amazing. God has blessed us. Why has he blessed us? He didn't bless Abram so Abram could pat himself on the back and say, look how blessed I am. He blessed Abram, said, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to others. God has blessed our church so that our church can bless this community and bless this world. Has God blessed you? Yes. 
We used to sing a, a song in that little country church where I came to, to grow in the Lord, and it was count your blessings. How's it go? Name them one by one. And as you count your blessings, God has given you those blessings so that you will be a blessing to other people. Abram had success without significance until he surrendered his success to God. Same with the little boy in John 6. Abram trusts God except for when he doesn't. This is a key thing about Abram. At these key moments in Abram's life, he trusts God. Abram trusts God except for when he doesn't. So let's look at another time that Abram trusted God. This in Genesis 15. It's years later. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. My situation still hasn't changed. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Eliezer of Damascus is like, what? What about me? He says, this man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven, number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so will your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now the New Testament, the apostle Paul makes a big deal out of this, that Abram experiences salvation. Abram experiences justification. Abram becomes right with God the same way the rest of us do. He just believes God at his word. And God considers him righteous because he trusts God. Abram is foolish enough to take God at his word. And God credits it or accounts it or sees him as righteous because of that. So there's these key moments in Abram's life that he trusts God. He trusts him to follow from his homeland. He trusts him years later when God says, I still haven't given up on you. We're going to read in, in, in a moment Genesis 22. Abram trusts God and even lays down his own son and is willing to sacrifice his own son to God. Thankfully, he doesn't have to do that. He trusts God. But there's these key moments in his life where Abram doesn't trust God. He, he's going through uh, Egypt one time, a couple of times. And he says to his wife, Sarah, hey, you're really beautiful. If they ask if you're my wife, just tell them you're my sister. And, and crazy, terrible things happen. And, and Abram's character shines through there. And he does not trust God. There's a moment in Abram's life where Sarah says, hey, we're just not ever going to have this baby. Why don't you, you take my handmaid, Hagar, and y'all make a baby? And Abram's like... Okay, you know, let's do that, you know. And he took matters into his own hands, and, 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 and he didn't trust that God would do things God's way. So Abram is this picture of a man who trusts God, except for when he doesn't. Does that remind you of anybody? Do you trust God, except for when you don't? I think that's, that's us. So what happens? What happens next? Maybe you're one of the millions of people who watched the Netflix movie Bird Box. Anybody watch Bird Box with Sandra Bullock? Come on, Travis. You didn't watch it? Okay. Well, we're going to reenact it. Put a blindfold on, and I promise nothing bad's going to happen. Okay? Um, anybody watch Bird Box? Like millions of people watched it. Okay. And so Sandra Bullock is in the movie. I think her character's name is Mallory. And uh, we got a picture of, of, of Sandra. There she is in the boat. And uh, so there's Mallory and, and boy and girl. Uh, uh, there's this global catastrophe that's happened. And there's this, this evil that has swept through the world. And if you look at this evil, you, you become self-destructive. 
Just not like anything else that we, if, if we heard, are we familiar with a story about evil that infiltrates the world and it makes people self-destructive? This sounds kind of like a story we've heard before, right? The people like literally just kill themselves when they see this evil thing. It takes them over. And so the way to uh, not be taken over by this evil is to wear these blindfolds. Like you see Mallory there in the boat and boy and girl, she doesn't name them because she doesn't have enough hope that they're going to survive. So she just calls them boy and girl. And, and, and so the survivors here in Bird Box, they, they put uh, their blindfolds on and they have, to, they have to walk by faith. And they can't see, they can't look, or, or this evil will, will destroy them. And, and I can't help but be reminded a little bit of Abram when God calls Abram and says, you don't know where you're going, but follow my voice and I'm going to tell you when you get there. So Mallory and, and, and boy and girl, they traverse this river. They experience a lot of hardship. They traverse the river, and, uh, and, they're, and they're, they're going to this supposed place where they're going to find refuge. And, and spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear this, just plug your ears or something, but you've had time to watch it by now. But, um, so they're looking for this place where they're going to find refuge. It's a, they don't even know if it's a real place or not, and they, they're, they're, they're going through their ark there. Um, they're both there, and, 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 and uh, they, have a, they crash, and they pass through these turbulent waters, and, and, and they come out the other side and they keep their blindfolds on and, and as they're as they're they're they're, they're trying to, to to go toward this place of refuge there's all these tempting voices there's all these these seductive voices that they have to tune out and they have to walk by faith and finally they get to this refuge and this refuge is a real place and it was the school for the blind and there's all of these people there that the world the previous world had thought were weak the previous world had thought were insignificant but in this place the weak and the insignificant were strong. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Isn't that a beautiful thing? I mean, it is to me. It's like they, found this, they find this uh, new Eden. It's a return to Eden. And those that were considered weak and insignificant are those in whose weakness is so much strength. The movie's a hit, not because of the monsters. You don't even see the monsters. The movie's a hit because it's about faith. It's about hope. It's about love. It's about all the things that we are created to be about. So Jesus is better than Abram. You know, Abram left the comfort of his home so he could go create a family for his bloodline. Jesus leaves heaven so that he could make a family out of everybody, of whatever family, who would be crazy enough to trust him. Abram claims a sliver of land in the Middle East. Jesus says, this whole universe belongs to me. Jesus trusts God every moment of his life. Abram trusts God except for when he doesn't. Jesus trusts God every moment, all the way to the cross and beyond. Jesus surrenders his own life. He's that ram in the thicket for us. When, remember when Isaac, Abram took his son Isaac and, he, and, he, and, he, and they go to the mountain and he he says, let's go make a sacrifice, Isaac. God had tested Abram, we're told. Genesis 22, God tests Abram and says, sacrifice your son to me. Well, well, God didn't ask for human sacrifice. What's going on here? Why would he ask of this? And we're told in the text that he's testing Abram. And, and so they go and they ride three days. They get to the mountain. Uh, Abram loads his son Isaac up with, wood, with firewood. And, Abram, and Isaac says, hey, I see the altar. I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And Abram just says, to his son, God's going to provide, and we're coming back. We really, really struggle with this idea of a God that would test somebody in this way. 
Walter Brueggemann's an incredible Old Testament scholar, and he says what we really struggle with, though, not just, we don't really struggle with whether God would test this way. We struggle with, is God really going to provide this way? Because what happens in the story is God provides. Isaac gets laid down on the altar. Abram's ready to take his life. He looks over, and he sees a ram in the thicket. God says, hold up. You passed the test. Here's the ram. God's made a way. And Jesus is that one that, that takes our place. He's that ram in the thicket that takes our place. He's the one that God provides to take the punishment we deserve. Abram was part of the problem. You know, God called him to be his answer to evil. God called Abram and his people to be God's answer to evil, but they were part of the problem, not just part of the solution. Jesus is the solution. Um, Abram and Sarah were physically barren and incapable of producing offspring apart from God's supernatural work. And, and God came through. God provided. Jesus rescues the, spiritual, the spiritually barren. You and I, before Jesus, we are totally incapable of producing anything of significant eternal value. And what Jesus does is he rescues the spiritually barren and he makes you fruitful for him. So as we close, I, I, I used to love lining up dominoes in my grandmother's floor. I loved my grandmother. I loved, we called her Mama. I loved Mama, Charlene McGowan. And I spent a lot of time with her growing up and, and my grandpa. Um, and she, she was in the kitchen most all the time. And, and, and she taught me a lot of things. She taught me that, that uh, the first thing you do when you go in the kitchen is wash your hands. I don't know how many times my kids heard that, but we're still working on, on that happening. But, uh, but she taught me that. We'd be taking a walk sometimes, and I would see something shiny on the road, and I would go over to it, and, and I'd say, oh, it's just a penny. And my mom would say, pennies make dollars. And I'll always remember that. She taught me how to scramble an egg. She taught me a lot of things. But I, I used to love to sit in that for hours in that kitchen floor, and I'd line up dominoes, several boxes of dominoes, and I'd make different shapes out of them. And I'd love to get a, a nice shape going and maybe make some tunnels and maybe some kind of ups and downs going. Then I'd tip over a domino, and I'd just love to watch them all fall down. You used to do that probably when you was a kid. And while Mama was doing her work and piddling around in the kitchen, I'd be doing my dominoes, and she'd be talking about Jesus. And there's some great things that, that uh, Charlene McGowan taught me. But you probably have never heard her name, and you probably wouldn't consider her successful, and you might not even consider her significant, but she's significant to me. Of all the things that she taught me, there's this one abiding, deep truth that Charlene McGowan imparted to me in word and in action. It's a truth that she sang to me every night I spent with her as a child. It's a truth that you've heard sung over you probably. It's a truth that I sing over my children. It's a truth that I wandered away from, but it's a truth that when I have been in the deepest pits of shame, the deepest pits of loss, the deepest pits of, pits of fear and despair, God has used this truth to rescue me. And that truth that she sang over me, that truth that she invested into me is Jesus loves me. And this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. In the darkest periods of my life, that truth, God used to rescue me. She was a domino. One domino falls into another and another and another. And so her domino tipped into me and my domino is here hopefully falling into you. 
Matthew's gospel starts with that genealogy, Abram, Isaac, Jacob, and that's just one domino after another, one generation after another, toppling into one another all the way down to you. And so what are you going to do with your domino? What are you going to do with the little life that you have? Is it going to be about you? Or is it going to be surrendered to Jesus? I ask you to multiply your significance through sharing your faith. If you're a parent, grandparent, godparent, foster parent, step-parent, whatever kind of parent you are, man, Gretchen can hook you up with some great resources to, to pour into your kids or your grandkids. We've got the ParentQ app that I just I really urge you to download that ParentQ app. Parents, grandparents, that's going to give you cues to have spiritual conversations with your kids. There's the Bible, the, the Read Scripture app, which is great to help you read through the Bible, and it gives you videos to kind of help make sense of the books of the Bible. Multiply your significance through sharing your faith. Yeah, with your own family, but multiply your significance through sharing your faith with your neighbors, your loved ones, strangers. We saw in the prayer room this morning, Jerry Stapp had the opportunity to, uh, to share the gospel recently with a, a couple guys. Man, every day at school, at work, as you're walking your dog, you have an opportunity to overcome fear, to overcome the risk of looking like a fool, you have the opportunity to multiply your life, your significance. You have the opportunity to be a domino that topples into somebody else. You have the opportunity to say, can I tell you, can I tell you for a second something that Jesus has done for me? Can I tell you that my righteousness was filthy rags and Jesus took what I had and he gave me what he had, what's true of him is now true of me and it can be true of you by faith. Man, somebody's going to think you're nuts. That's okay. And people have been laughing at me my whole life. It doesn't bother me anymore. All right? You look like me, you get used to it. All right? Multiply your life. Share the gospel. Friends, neighbors, strangers, tell, Jesus, tell them what Jesus is doing. Multiply your significance through financial generosity. There's all kinds of ways you can be generous, all kinds of worthy causes, all kinds of direct, and, that's, and let's do all that, but, but let's, let's multiply our significance as a church together. As we, as we pool our resources together, as we invest in God's kingdom together, uh, my family is committed to moving into a season of, 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 of more significant giving than we've, ever, than we've ever embarked on. I encourage you to join us in that. Last year, we were able to do some incredible things financially. Let's do even more this year. Let's multiply our significance through generosity. You can multiply your significance by investing in community. We have groups that meet all during the week. If you want help finding a group, we'll help you find one. Jump into a group of a few imperfect people and invest in them and be invested in by them. Your significance is rooted not in your level of success. Your significance is rooted in your level of surrender. So-